When a young man meets a woman who claims that she is a witch, he has no idea his fate may have already been sealed. Then we travel to Indiana to take a look at a patch of land that may have been cursed. After an incredibly bloody battle was fought here, is it possible that by simply walking along this riverbank, you may not only see phantoms, but also lose the ability to sleep? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. If it sounds like I'm a little drunk, that is not the case. Uh, If it sounds like I'm a little sleepy, that is the case. I have officially lost, much like the characters in our last story, have lost the ability to sleep or at least get a good night's sleep. But someone who's always able to get enough of what they want Running into, I don't know what that means either. Guys, just roll with it. Just roll with it. Running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Noah. Woohoo, yeah, wee, ha, 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 yeah. Jumping up and down. Noah is jumping up and down. Running into Dead Rabbit. Shut, shut the light off, bro. We're jumping up and down so much. Noah, a.k.a. NC on Instagram, shared their Spotify wrapped on their Instagram, letting everybody know how much they love Dead Rabbit Radio, and that is a way to get the word out. You can support the show financially, but if you cannot through the Patreon or YouTube memberships or whatever, it's totally fine. Just do what Noah did. Help spread the word of Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio, wait, what am I talking about? Oh my goodness. Okay, what? Uh, Noah, do what Noah did. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm shutting it off. This is already a train wreck. It's like a minute in. Do what Noah did. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Noah, let's go ahead and get this party started, though. I'm going to toss you the keys. And you know what? No, I'm going to toss you the hair hang glider. Uh, everyone grab onto Noah's ankles as he jumps off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command and glides us all the way out to Hollywood. We're headed back to Hollywood. It's the 1950s. Da, 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 da. We're seeing all these cars pull up and people getting out of them. And hey, everybody, look at that. That's uh, uh, Greta Garbo. Take pictures of her. Click, 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 click. Greta Garbo's waving. Another car pulls up. <laughs> Aren't you tired? Would you just rather get this episode done? Why are you, why are you going on this long? <laughs> I name off every Hollywood celebrity in the 1950s. Hey, isn't that uh, Ronnie Reagan? He gets out. He's waving hello to the photographers. All these cars are pulling up. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton gets out. At that point, he'd be like, an 80-year-old man. I don't know if he was alive in the 1950s. He's like, ah, people are breaking chairs over his back. They're dropping buildings on him. He's like, ah, I don't have the ability to outrun trains anymore. (sighs) You're getting killed. 1950s Hollywood glitz and glamour is everywhere. We're about to meet this young woman named Malia Nurmi. Not really... Hollywood celebrity name, Nermi. You don't really imagine you could see that on a poster. And neither did she. She knew, she knew this, it was kind of stacked against her. Her name's Nermi. But, very, very beautiful woman. She thinks she might have an N. And she was right. She's a gorgeous woman. She showed up at a Halloween party once dressed up as Morticia Adams. A very tall, slender woman with big hips. Nice breasts she shows up just like morticia adams from the adams family at the time it was just a comic strip and people are like damn dude look at that girl who's that who's that and she's like i better go with the name real quick can't tell my name's nermy she eventually she does start off at this halloween party and agents were asking about her she ends up becoming vampira 1954, she starts hosting these uh, horror movie television shows. So you'd have, like, The Late Show on ABC, ABC Network or whatever. And they packaged these cheesy old movies. They had them introduced, and during the commercial breaks, you would have these little skits performed by this woman named Vampira. It was sultry, it was sexy, it was able to 
add a little more life to these otherwise really dated and cheesy horror movies, even for the 1950s. And while Vampiro would go on and inspire many other television acts, obviously most, most famously Elvira, that's the one that I think most people know. I grew up with Elvira. It's the same setup. It, Elvira was a ripoff of Vampira. She also was the inspiration for Maleficent from the Sleeping Beauty movie. When they were making that movie, when they were designing everything, they based Maleficent on Vampira. She definitely left a huge cultural landmark in media. Elvira was a straight ripoff from her. There was some lawsuits filed because obviously it's pretty much the same person. If you've never heard of Vampira, you've definitely probably heard of Elvira. Vampira also acted in Plan 9 from Outer Space and all this stuff. She's really left her mark on the culture. But back in the 1950s, she was the culture. Like, she was this hip, hopping in actress that everyone saw on their television screen. She's doing these goofy movies, in, in, introducing these goofy movies. She ends up befriending, through her television work, she ends up befriending this up-and-coming actor named James Dean. And she's shooting all of her stuff in Hollywood. She's a celebrity down there, all over America, but also down there. You'd see her walking around town. It was this huge thing. And James Dean was really into the dark arts. And it's this beautiful woman. And she's on television and everyone's talking about her. They start hanging out together. He wasn't just a fan of hers. He was a friend of hers. They ended up hanging out a lot because of this. And apparently, I would have loved to find a clip of this. I'm sure they're out there, but I couldn't come across one. James Dean appeared on The Vampire Show. Before he really struck it big, he actually had done like a couple skits, apparently, on her show. And I'm I, I assuming everyone here is familiar with James Dean. James Dean was an up-and-coming movie star who I think most people know him because... That didn't happen. You're like, what? Who's James Dean? Where's this story going? Well, let's keep going. So, 1954, she's putting out the show. She befriends James Dean. He makes an appearance on her show. 1955, these rumors start to swirl around that James Dean and Vampira are dating. And while they're both very attractive people, if you're trying to be a professional, you probably don't want to be known as dating the vampire lady who's hosting the goofy movies late at night on ABC. These gossip, those getting out there that they're dating. Contemporaneously, there was a gossip columnist named Hedda Hopper. And she asked him, oh, so are you dating Vampira? And the quote that James Dean gave, you'll find different variations of this quote. Usually you'll find only half of it. I found this quote, this is really interesting. James Dean said, quote, I don't go out with witches, and I dig dating cartoon characters even less. That's a pretty bold statement. I mean, he did have to make, because he was a rising sex symbol. At this point, he's been in a couple of movies. His star is on the march. And she is a cartoon character. She's just like this goofy. She's, she was based on a cartoon character. She was based on Morticia Adams out of the Sunday Funnies. He's like, I'm not dating her. I don't date witches. I don't date cartoon characters. And you would imagine that that would make Vampira mad. Whether or not they were dating, and it's really hard to tell, honestly. Like, he said that. They did hang out a lot. And even if they weren't dating, I think that would make you mad. Right? You're like, what? I'm not a cartoon character? He did tell Hedda, he goes, listen, I have a real interest in dark forces in black magic he said quote i have a fairly adequate knowledge of satanic forces this is james dean talking by the way you're like what did anton levey enter the group chat quote i have a fairly adequate knowledge of satanic forces and i was interested to find out if this girl vampira was obsessed with such a force she was a subject about which i wanted to learn I met her and engaged in conversation. She knew absolutely nothing. She uses her inane characterization as an excuse for the most infantile expression you can imagine. 
okay. Again, right? That's gonna make you mad, even if you might be right. Maybe she doesn't know anything about black magic. Maybe she kind of cloisters herself in that imagery. Maybe it's just for show. But you don't have to be so mean about it. You could have just said, nah, she's not, she's more a lot of show, no glow. Glow meaning, <laughs> glow meaning literally a magic glow around surrounding her. Now he's like, she's dumb. We're not dating, I don't date cartoon characters, I don't date witches, and she's dumb. She doesn't know anything about what you would think she would know about. Blasting her. James Dean ends up making the movie Rebel Without a Cause, and that is about to come out, and this is really the movie that he his was already becoming a huge player in Hollywood, considering how young he was. Rebel Without a Cause was going to break him through to stardom, become a true movie star. A month before Rebel Without a Cause came out, September 30th, 1955, famously, very, I think most people know this about James Dean and many other details, he was killed in a car accident. A horrific car crash ended his life a month before Rebel Without a Cause came out. And it's funny because I think that is, like, you will hear, there's tons of YouTube videos, and before YouTube existed, there'd be television shows about James Dean's curse, or James Dean's haunted car, or the tragedy of James Dean, where is his spirit now? Like, it's a big player in the paranormal world. At least it was when I was growing up. It was not hard to find any sort of story about uh, curses or ghosts that did not include James Dean somewhere in that book. It was a Hollywood story, but it was also a story... Like, his car, I remember, ended up like being... I think someone owns the car now, and the idea that pieces from his car was used in other cars that also resulted in crashes. They're like, oh, these brakes! Let's use these brake pads from this car that blew up! Maybe they'll work better in my car. The Curse of James Dean or his haunted car and things like that are pretty popular, at least when I was growing up. I mean, I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, closer to the 50s than now, but I was more familiar with James Dean and his death and his possible curse, his vehicle being cursed, because it really was the story of a young man dying tragically. Rebel Without a Cause came out. He became a huge star posthumously. But in Hollywood, these rumors began to swirl because, again, you didn't expect anything like this to happen. Rumors began to swirl that maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe he was cursed. And the rumors go like this, that Vampira had at her place constructed an altar, a black magic altar, to curse James Dean. She had created this really creepy-looking altar with candles and all that stuff. There was a photo that was taken before he died of Vampira next to an open grave. And she's holding up a sign, or there's like a sign next to the grave that says, Darling, join me, in reference to James Dean. And there's photos of this altar. This story, again... It really, really was running around Hollywood for a while, and the media down there was talking about it. And like I said, media since then, paranormal media is kind of... I never heard these details of the story, but they do have photos of the altar. People have talked about this curse from Vampira for a while. Other friends... Because there's photos of it. You can't deny that there was an altar built. There were friends and confidants of her who said she did not build the altar to curse James Dean. In fact, Vampiro was very scared that James Dean was going to meet a tragic death. And she built the altar to save him. She was trying to cast a magical spell to make it so... Like a protective spell to make sure that James Dean didn't die. I don't know, I don't know what their take is on the open grave photo. And Darlene joined me. They're like, well, you know, maybe that's not a grave. Maybe that's just a human-sized hole in the ground next to a tombstone. Why are you jumping to conclusions? And there are people who say, and I think that was Vampira as well, saying, no, I wasn't trying to curse him. I was trying to save him. We don't know. We don't know exactly what that 
Black Magic Hold was for, right? We we're, we have maybe she's being honest about that. She did say, "Listen, um, I didn't mean to kill James Dean. That was never my intent. But once he did die, I could talk to him. Like we had such a close connection in life that I could talk to his spirit after he died." And she said that's not surprising, not because I had anything to do with his death, but we actually knew each other in a past life. So we had this long bond way before we met in this iteration, and we will meet again in the next. You're going to talk to him after he's dead. She did also say, though, that she had a kid with Orson Welles, but gave it up for adoption. So she said a lot of stuff, basically. I mean, I don't know if that's true. Who knows? She said a lot of stuff. She said that Orson Welles knocked her up and she had to give it up for adoption. Which means, if you're an orphan and you were born in the 1950s and you're listening to this podcast, your dad may be Orson Welles and your mother may be a witch. Just to let you know, you're like, <laughs> you're flying around. You're like, oh, I was always wondering why I had these powers. She denied that she killed James Dean. She never really denied she was a witch. James Dean thought she didn't know what she was talking about. She was just a big dummy who pretended. 1958, this is really when people are like, okay, if she's a witch, then she definitely cursed this guy. He died in 1955 and 1958 on Halloween. Vampira crashed a Halloween party where she showed up dressed like a witch, like a stereotypical witch with a big pointy hat, and her date was dressed up as a man in bandages who was supposed to be James Dean after all of his injuries. So he's wearing like the leather jacket. If I remember the photo correctly, he was kind of like dressed like James Dean, but he was wrapped up in bandages as well. So at that point, people are going to go, okay, you probably, you probably had something to do with his death. You're definitely making light of it. She shows up as a witch, and James Dean is there. It's not really James Dean, but dressed in bandages, like you post-car accident. It's an interesting story. Really, the reason why I wanted to cover it was, I think you guys kind of know my history with witches. If you don't, I'll put them in the show notes. I don't give them much credence as far as power level goes. Like a, a typical witch, like they're at the Lewin section of the bookstore, and they're getting to write a silver broomstick. They're getting these books reading about witchcraft, and then they start, like, casting spells. Bury a potato at midnight, and then kiss a stink bug on every second Tuesdays, and eventually, eventually, you'll gain a disease. Um, You know, like, I think a lot of it's... I don't, I don't give a lot of it credence. I do think that magic borders on... I think, really, powerful magic borders on things like manifestation and the law of attraction, stuff like that. But... When it talks about cursing other people, I don't give it much. I've been cursed multiple times throughout my life. Nothing bad's ever happened to me. Well, that's not true. (laughs) Obviously, bad stuff has happened to me, but not because of the curse. I've never had a curse successfully cast on me. So, you know, whatever. I I literally get emailed curses from time to time. I've been cursed in person and all that. So, I mean, I don't give it much credence as far as the ability to, like, kill people. But there is that... I mean, obviously, when you look at stuff, there are people who get cursed and things happen to them. And I don't know how much of it is the power level of the user or the person who believes it. And in a way, it may also be the amount of people who believe it could affect you. If if You may go, I'm not cursed. But if everybody... (laughs) Else, if everybody else goes like, nah, nah, I'm pretty sure you're cursed, dude. I'm pretty sure you pissed off a witch. Would that amplify the power? I think belief, I think for magic to work, you need not only the belief in the practitioner, but the belief in the person who it's being used upon. I mean, to write a silver broomstick, I'm not going to, that's an actual book. That's an actual book. I'm not going to knock really even the authors of that. I'm more knocking the people who pick that stuff up and they think that they can just do these simple rituals and they're, they'll work. I think like the law of attraction, people go, what, that, that's not real. you got to do a lot of work. It's not easy to do. I don't think any magic's easy to do. 
you think you can buy a book and then master it or even become <laughs> even become a novice at it. Still takes years and years of research. And that the reason why I'm Vampira seems like that type of witch. Like James Dean was like, I've studied this stuff. And that was one of the things that attracted him to her in the first place. She seemed to surround herself in all these dark motifs. And he's like, oh, she might be a fellow traveler down this dark road. And he's like, no, she's an idiot. She doesn't know any of this stuff. I honestly think that James Dean probably wasn't cursed by her. But, considering the fact that she said she had Orson Welles' kid, it's possible that she's just piggybacking on this horrific tragedy to boost her own importance in the story of a beloved Hollywood icon. But that doesn't mean James Dean wasn't cursed at all. The reason how I came across this story because I was recently looking at that one. I'll put the episode in the show notes where there's this idea that Nick Nicholas Cage may be a may be currently building a voodoo army across the United States. You're like, what is that real, Jason? You need to only talk about that every episode. That's terrifying. It's interesting in the Dead Rabbit Radio Patreon Discord. Some people were saying they thought it may not be Nicholas Cage, but Johnny Depp, based on the clues that were given. There'd both be. If you would think of who would be the scariest person to command a legion of voodoo-wielding maniacs, who, who pick your poison there, Nicolas Cage or Johnny Depp. Who would you rather have to face against? That's how I came across this story, looking up Hollywood witches. Noah, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Hollywood. Fly us all the way out to Indiana. We're headed out to Indiana. We're going back in time. Noah, hit that time travel button. Take us back to the early 1800s. Flying over Indiana. Nowadays, it's known as Battleground, Indiana. It's the region we're in. They didn't know back then that there was going to be a huge battle. It was just a plot of land in Indiana. And what happened was, the way I found out about this story, I was going through the Shadowlands.net. I love looking through there for ghost stories. It's one of the best, if not the best, ghost repository of ghost stories in the United States. I came across this entry for Battleground, Indiana. It was pretty simple. Most of the entries are maybe two or three sentences. And this one said, if you head out to this battleground, you head out to this piece of land... After dark, go down to the creek and you'll hear the sounds of battle all around you. Eh, let's go this way. Oh, my stomach. Oh, I needed that. Get the horse over there. The horse has been blown up by a cannonball, sir. You can hear this battle raging on around you. You can also sometimes see figures running from tree to tree in the darkness. You see these phantoms moving about. Pretty interesting stuff. But pretty normal paranormal activity. There was one part of this story, though, this little two, three sentence setup about Battleground that really caught my attention. Because, I mean, I read hundreds of these accounts weekly. I'm like, I'm all yawning as a phantom cannonball is blasting past my head and a horse is going, no, not me. I have a newborn fowl at home. Well, boring. It's fantastic if you're there, right? And you can go see the ghost. I'm not knocking that. But to talk about it on a podcast, I was like, oh, you know, it's interesting. But then I came across this little piece of the entry. It said, they say, this is when something goes from just being a ghost story to <laughs> rabbit radio. I'm like, I can't wait to cover this. They say that if you stay out after dark at Battleground, you, no matter how long you're there, you will never have to sleep. Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. That's weird. And it's not just like you figure it might be hard to sleep sitting, hearing the sounds of battle all around you. But I'm like, imagine if there's a place that you could confirm that you would go to, you would never have to sleep. You're just and not even even if you wanted to sleep, you couldn't fall asleep. You're like, oh man, should have brought my 
my gaming setup. You have, you're sitting there with your laptop, you're on Twitch for 48 hours straight, you're like, nah, guys, I'm good. I'm at Battleground. I'm not worried about dying. I don't know. You still might get blood clots in your legs if you don't move for 48 hours. But you know what I mean? Being able to not fall asleep. I, I was like, dude, the mil- if this was true, the military would be testing this out. They'd be like tents put up and they'd bring in young GIs and they're like, your mission today is just don't get blood clots. You have to get up, walk around every hour, but uh, we want to see how long you guys can stay awake. They're like, what? Okay. And then like three days past, they're like, sir, sir, the recruits, they're still awake. And he's like, hmm, guess this is right. Yes, yes, the Shadowlands.net is right. I have to go tell my boss at the Pentagon now that uh, Shadowlands was right. I saw this and I go, oh, that's awesome. Okay, next step I go, I'm going to look up some information about Battleground Indiana. I don't know anything about Battleground Indiana. Why is it haunted? Is this true? Is this no sleep story true? So I started poking my head around. And dude, this story's nuts. <laughs> Whether or not you can sleep... On this patch of land, this is a crazy story. Back in the year 1811, we have the American military and American settlers taking over large portions of the United States. It wasn't all the United States at this point, but they're taking it here and there. And you ended up seeing this confederacy of native tribes begin to grow. You had people really saying, hey, listen... We know where this story's going. <laughs> we know what's going to happen. They're just going to keep taking land and maybe buying it, maybe just pushing us off of it. But either way, we're going to keep getting pushed west. Unless we stop this, and not none of the tribes are strong enough to stop it on their own. But if we have a confederacy, we join powers, we join as tribes, we should be able to stop this march westward. And you had at the same time this idea, you know, this terminology is thrown around all the time. The leaders in these tribes were declaring the West, declaring America, this evil spirit that was taking over their land and they needed to destroy the spirit and then they needed to purify it. And their goal was not to share. Their goal was to basically push America back off of the continent. Get them out of here. We're going to take over everything that we've lost. We're going to purify the land. Well, this confederacy starts building up. And of course, U.S. government, they're not like, well, let's just see where this goes. (laughs) Let's see where this goes. Maybe it'll end well for us. No, they actually deploy troops out to this area. Because right next to Battleground, there was this city... Basically, all these tribes coming together, all these different tribes are hanging out here. And the U.S. government's like, "This, we got to do something about this. This is not going to end well for us. So they deployed a bunch of troops out there. Underneath the leadership of Governor William Henry Harrison, he has a thousand troops and they're headed towards Prophetstown. That was where the natives had set up. They called it Prophetstown. They're headed over there, and it's right by the Tippercanoe River. And William's like, okay, guys, this is it. We got a thousand troops. We have to put this down now. We're going to attack Prophetstown. We're going to push them off. We're going to show this so-called confederacy that we're not to be trifled with. Like, oh, that sounds like a pretty good plan, Governor. Uh, how many troops do they have there? He's like, no, no matter the numbers, no matter the cost, at our own personal lives, we will go to Provincetown and end this. And the troops are like, yeah, okay, do we have any idea? Is a thousand men enough to, to do this? Someday history will look back. And he's, I mean, this probably a thousand troops may have been a good amount of troops for this particular mission, but it turns out probably not, probably not. Anyway, so uh, William Henry Harrison and his thousand troops are headed towards Prophetstown. At Prophetstown, you had these two brothers who were really the masterminds behind this confederacy. You had Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa. Tense Quatawa, 
His nickname was the Prophet. He actually was the spiritual backbone of this movement while his brother, Tecumseh, was the tactician. He was the guy who knew what to do in battle. He knew how to rally the troops. He knew all of these different ways to fight off the U.S. forces. Tenskwatawa was the one who was talking about this evil spirit has come to our land. We have to purify it. We have to push them out of here. And people were really digging on this message that they were given. And they knew that these troops were coming. It's kind of hard to miss. Thousand troops. It's kind of hard to miss a thousand troops headed towards your position. So Tecumseh says, Hey, I need to go out and gather more forces. There are other tribes that are kind of on the fence about joining the Confederacy. Because at this point, the Americans had been there for like, what, 400 years almost, 300 years. You had tribes that were like, Nah, you know, we're just going to assimilate. Or tribes going, eh, They're not going to do, they're not going to push us all the way off our land. But you had other tribes on the fence that may or may not join this confederacy. Tecumseh goes, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to go chat with some tribes. See if we can get more forces here. Uh, Because this is a city. You have its population center. You have women and children there as well as your warriors. Tecumseh tells his brother, he goes, listen, I'm going to go get these military forces. We're going to come back. We're going to refortify our positions. We're going to be a stronger enemy for the u.s government to try to take we're going to bolster our forces they're going to make it much harder for them to take us whatever you do brother tecumseh says whatever you do brother do not under any circumstances attack the u.s forces that's my job i'm really really good at it do not i want to repeat do not attack them I'll be back. So Tecumseh takes off. And Tetsquatawa is such an interesting figure because he is someone that I think a lot of us can relate to. His life, like when you look at his life, he was kind of a bum. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling the spiritual leader a loser in the sense like he didn't know what he was talking about, but it's so interesting reading about this guy. And of course, you know, I'm sure there have been whole books written about all of these people. I'm just doing, you know, internet research. But he was born in a big family. And from a very early age, people in his tribe knew he did not know how to really do anything that needed to be done in the tribe. He was a terrible hunter. He was such a bad hunter. Because, you know, you figure, okay, Jason, you know, that's not too bad. Some people are good at hunting. Some people are bad at hunting. He was such a bad hunter that when he was young, he poked out his own eyeball with one of his arrows. Like that bad of a hunt. Right? I mean, that's pretty bad. The arrow goes in that opposite direction. You see paintings of him. He only has one eye. And you go, dude, that's badass, dude. Did he lose it in a battle? No, yeah, a battle with his own arrow. He ended up poking his own eyeball out with an arrow. He, The tribe thought he was a joke. His own people completely dismissed him, and he felt like he was destined for greatness. But everyone treated him like nothing. And that weighed on him. That really, really weighed on him. And he was waiting for a chance to prove himself. He ends up having a pretty large family himself by the time he's in his early 20s. But because he's pretty much looked down upon by everybody, he develops a drinking problem. He begins drinking. No one wants him to help with anything. He begins drinking and they go, that made things worse. Now he's having an even harder time providing for his family. He became super just isolated from everyone, incredibly depressed. And he knew that he was better than all of this. Not better than his people, but he knew he was better than, you know, trying to get rid of all of his pain by drinking. He knew that there was a path for him to be a great man, but he didn't know what it was. 
And sometimes when we have to ask those hard questions about ourselves, we turn towards easy answers, like alcohol or drugs or whatever. That's a lot easier than sitting down and really evaluating. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a great man. Maybe I'm just supposed to be a good father and member of my community. But that's hard sometimes for us to admit. Tenskwatawa believes that he was destined for greatness, so much so that in his late 20s, he reinvented himself. He reinvented himself as a medicine man and went and apprenticed under another medicine man, and he suddenly started getting that respect he craved. He had a purpose. I can do this, he said. I can be this medicine man. And not only will I be useful, not only will I be able to provide for my family, I will have status in my community. But, after he's become a medicine man, this disease ravaged his community. It was killing people left and right, and those that didn't die were, you know, laid up for quite a while. And he couldn't figure out what it was, what the disease was, or how to help. And so he became humiliated. People looked at him as a failure. He was supposed to protect him. He was the medicine man, and he didn't even know what was going on or how to stop it. And once again, completely, all of his dreams have been dashed. His idea of having something to hold on to was ripped from his hands. He failed yet again in a very spectacular manner. But his brothers, his family was very well respected. Great hunters, great warriors. And they start to talk about this confederacy. Tenskwatawa, he reinvents himself again as this prophet who has these mystical powers. And he knows that this is what has to be done. He knows they will be successful and him and his brother and kind of this desire for the natives to fight back against the settlers, he does ascend to a very powerful position. He's the spiritual leader of this new nation, this confederacy of tribes. But his brother said, do not, under any circumstances, attack the U.S. troops. Wait for me. I'll be back with more troops. Tenskwatawa sees these troops coming towards Prophetstown. His brother is left at this point. And Tenskwatawa calls in his military leaders. And they're like, where's your brother at? He's like, don't worry about my brother. Don't worry about my brother. I'm really afraid that these U.S. troops are just going to keep marching until they get here. So here's the plan that I came up with. I'm going to send out some messengers. They're going to ask William, Governor William Henry Harrison, to pause his military campaign for just a moment, at least a day. I want to have a meeting with him tomorrow. So they do that. They send out a messenger, and William Henry Harrison agrees to this. He goes, yeah, okay, we can do that. Let's have a meeting tomorrow. It probably wasn't going to change anything. He most likely wasn't going to attack the town, but whatever. Right? Boys, get a good night's sleep. We're just going to hang out here in their territory, right? This is native land. They probably know where everything is. They probably can sneak up on us at any moment. But tonight we sleep. So William Henry Harrison says, yeah, that's fine. We'll have a meeting tomorrow. So when Tensaquawa gets that, he says, okay, good. We've postponed them for a day. What we're going to do right now is we're going to launch a sneak attack on them. And they're like, uh, what? Like, isn't your brother the tactician? He goes, yeah, 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 he's the tactician, but I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> this story's nuts. He goes, I can do this. I got this. Not only will this be a grand victory, and we'll show how powerful we are, all the other tribes who are on the fence, they'll be like, of course we want to join. You wiped out a thousand U.S. troops. Because not only is this going to be an awesome victory, I'm going to guarantee it. Because I'm going to begin casting spells that will make our troops 
impervious to harm, and another spell just for kicks that will disorient the Americans. We're going to attack them super early in the morning. They're going to be dead asleep. Bullets are going to be whizzing past. Our soldiers won't have to fear the blade or the bullet. You'll see their troops going, where am I? Where am I, mom? Where am I? Help me, help me. It'll be great. Back at the U.S. camp, I mean, these are real close, right? Where Battleground is to Prophetstown. Very, very close proximity. You have a hard time getting a good night's sleep, right? You know battle's coming. You just don't know when. So much so that, I mean, like, when people were getting ready to go to bed, one of the captains there said, hey, guys, I'm going to order you. And you probably, even if I didn't order you, you should probably just have come up with it yourself. Load your gun and sleep next to it. I have a feeling that we're going to get attacked at some point in the middle of the night. <laughs> Sweet dreams, guys. Sweet dreams. I have a feeling we're going to get attacked. Load your gun up and sleep next to it. November 7th, 1811, early in the morning, the U.S. troops are asleep. The reports of the battle were you were just asleep and then all of a sudden you heard stuff blowing up all around you. The U.S. troops were grabbing their rifles and looking out into the darkness surrounding their camp. That, that was the first thing they realized. They were completely surrounded. You're dead sleep. You have the most peaceful dreams you've probably ever had in your life. Then all of a sudden, things start blowing up because stuff is getting set on fire. Explosives are going off. Bullets are being fired all over. Musket balls, whatever they were using. And you wake up and you realize you're in a pitched battle. You're still a little groggy. And you're completely surrounded. What happened was, Tenskwatawa, there was this rock, which eventually became named Prophet's Rock. He went and he sat on that rock and overlooked the entire battle. And the plan that... I don't know if he came up with this tactic. I don't know if his military leaders underneath him, this was theirs or if it was his. But what you had was we were going to do it as a surprise attack. We were going to surround him. And you had people running into the camp, firing, and then attacking soldiers as they got close enough. And then you had a whole other group of soldiers on their bellies, slowly crawling towards the camp, also firing. So it's just chaos. Even if you thought you got everyone who was running towards you, you didn't you didn't look you didn't look down at the ground. You're not gonna think that there's a snake about to shoot you. These people were crawling on their bellies through the darkness as other warriors were on their feet shooting like a regular soldiers. Chaos. And it was chaos, right? They were sleeping and all of a sudden. <laughs> Captain Spencer was this man who served with this fighting division i don't know what the exact term is like division or brigade the indiana yellow jackets and he's fighting he's trying to lead his men rally them you're surrounded i mean like i have to keep hammering that home that's the worst way that you can start a battle he ends up getting shot in the head it's not a deathly wound but it's gonna it's gonna rattle you a bit right bullet grazes your head you're still alive you're fighting. He ends up getting shot in one of his thighs. Oh, he falls down. And then as he's getting up, he's shot in another thigh. Oh, and he falls down to the ground. And he's like, keep on fighting, boys. We can do He's all yelling on the ground. We can do this, guys. It's kind of hard to take orders from a dude who has a bullet wound to his head and blood shooting out of both of his thighs, but they did. I mean, they're like, well, if he can do it, I still have both of my thighs and a bulletless head. If he can still fight, I can. And he's like, we can do it, boys. Keep fighting. And then some of his soldiers came over and they picked him up off the ground where he was promptly shot through the chest and died. Probably would have lived if he was just on the ground. Just saying. He ends up, Getting killed, but, you know, he was rallying the troops. He's doing what he could. That's kind of a bummer when that happened, though. But what happens is the U.S. troops do end up winning the battle. This was supposed to be a crushing defeat. 
this would have shown that the military, the U.S. military, cannot stand against this Confederacy. But they did. It was like a two-hour-long battle. The United Tribes, this Confederacy, they had, the numbers we don't know exactly, we believe 50 killed and 70 to 80 of them wounded. The U.S. troops had 62 soldiers killed and 126 wounded. And you go, well, that's not too bad. I mean, they had 1,000 troops in the area. Like, 62 deaths, that's not horrible. It's, I mean, it, it, that's pretty good overall. And that's not what the warriors were promised. They go, we, we thought that you cast magic spells on us. 50 of us are dead. Bunch of us are wounded. What happened to that? And you told us that you cast a spell that would disorient the troops. And I guess they were disoriented in the first half hour. They woke up. They still had sleepy eyes. We're blowing them up. But they weren't disoriented. Like, that was a pretty even battle. That's not what you promised us. And Tenskwatawa said, oh, you know what? I, I, I agree. It turns out that my wife, she desecrated my magic medicine. Tell you what. Now I won't use that stuff she desecrated, but I got a new spell. This one's going to work. And at this point, basically, they were walking away from him. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to really make you bulletproof this time. We're going to win. And the warriors were like, we're done. We're not going back out there. You told us that this was going to be a success. We had the advantage, and it didn't work. The warriors were like, when's your brother coming home? Because Tenskwatawa was ready to do a second wave, and they're like, absolutely not. They're expecting us now. By the way, I mean, we did have the advantage. They know we're going to attack them. We're not going back. And they didn't. Well, you know what's going to happen is William Henry Harrison's troops on November 6th said, yeah, sure, let's have this meeting. On November 7th in the early morning, they were attacked. So on November 8th, Harrison goes, you know what? You guys good with just marching into Prophetstown and destroying it? And his troops are like, yeah, I think that's probably... I think that's what we plan to do anyways. We got attacked. Yeah, we're going to do that. And he did. He marched into Prophetstown, which was a town. It was it had infrastructure and everything like that. He goes into the town. He burns it to the ground. And remember, this was like the headquarters of this confederacy. He destroyed all of the nations, all of this combined the tribal units, winter food supply. He completely destroyed their rations. They were supposed to feed just not just their war rations. This was for their women and their children. This was for their countrymen, their nation. Destroyed all of it. And then, just for fun, just because he wanted to, probably he was a little miffed for getting tricked, he went to, in Prophetstown, he went to their cemetery and dug up all of the bodies, whether or not these were, these mostly weren't people from the battle the night before. These are people who had been buried there for a while. He dug up all the bodies and had his men just throw the remains everywhere. And then he left. He took his troops and he went back home. After the U.S. soldiers left, because the they bounced all of the natives when they were when the soldiers were marching on Prophetstown, they just left. They're like, "There's no way that we're going to have a, a battle here. They're going to kill everyone. We got to get the women and children out. Some of them may have stayed behind for an actual battle of Prophetstown, but it pretty much was just a go in, set the place on fire type of operation. After the U.S. soldiers left, tribal troops came back to the area. They saw what had happened. All their food's gone. That they stored up the cities and ashes, and they noticed all of these bodies have been desecrated. So what they did was they crossed back over to what would become Battleground, Indiana, you know, across this little river area, and they found all of the soldiers who were buried there after the battle, and they dug them up and threw their body parts everywhere.
after that battle, it became kind of a rallying cry for the U.S. It was proof because people were afraid. What happens if there's a confederacy of nations? At this point, you know, there had been hostilities between the settlers and the natives for centuries. And this was a big push. If you could have all these tribes unite under one banner that's competently led, be a serious issue for westward expansion. William Henry Harrison, he ends up running for president. And if you don't know any of this other stuff that we talked about, you may remember this from U.S. history. Tipper Canoe and Tyler too. That was William Henry Harrison's uh, campaign slogan because this battle took place at Tipper Canoe and Tyler was his vice president. I think that's how that came about. But so William Henry Harrison, that was the slogan, Tipper Canoe and Tyler too. He was a war hero. They probably left the part out of their own bodies everywhere. They probably didn't report that in the newspaper back then. But he was a war hero. He ended up winning the presidency. And very, very interesting. I know I've heard over the years, this again is another famous paranormal story, a curse. William Henry Harrison is the shortest serving president in U.S. history. I think there was supposed to, wasn't there like a president who was around for like a couple days before George Washington or something like that? This one, William Henry Harrison was inaugurated. But other than that, because I know that's kind of like a, like a paperwork thing or something. William Henry Harrison, 31 days after he was inaugurated, he died. So it didn't last long. <laughs> I mean, you can't really even get your cabinet sorted out at that point. 31 days he died after being inaugurated. And some people have said it was he was cursed because of this, because of destroying all of the food supplies, basically destroying this burgeoning nation, desecrating all of these bodies. If he was cursed, he wasn't cursed by Tenskwatawa. He ended up going down in infamy because of this. His brother came back and was like, I told you not to do that. I explicitly told you not to attack. Imagine if you brought, like you were able to convince these other tribes to join with you and say, hey, we actually stand a chance. We can make a stand. We can do this. We can actually win this war. And then you show up with these other soldiers and city's on fire. You're like, God damn it. You're, you know what happened. You can probably go, well, I'm assuming the troops... U.S. troops marched on this, but I'm also going to assume that my brother had something to do with this as well. He ended up, Tenskwatawa ended up being ostracized and for a time was in Canada. He was hanging out with tribes up there. And then, and this is really a, a heartbreaking part of it because I understand that need for, he never lost that thing inside of him that told him he was supposed to be important. He was supposed to be somebody that his people looked up to. Eventually, when the U.S. government was trying to get his tribe to move and give up land and, and assimilate and all that stuff, he went to the U.S. government and say, I would like a job with you. I will help you get my people to assimilate. I will help you get my people to give up their land. And he did that because he wanted to be important he wanted his people to look at him and say look how powerful of a leader he is sad right it's just kind of a sad footnote now again like i said i'm reading internet history stuff a lot of wikipedia stuff it's probably a more complicated story than that but in the end he ended up basically joining the evil spirit because he wanted that he wanted that recognition, and he got it in a way. I mean, I don't think there's... Obviously, there's good recognition and bad recognition, but I feel that. I feel that. He always was trying to hit that mark that he set high for himself, even if it meant not doing the best thing in the end. Battleground Indiana. If, if any place is going to be haunted, it's probably this one. Mostly because not only do you have this pitched battle happening, but throwing bodies around is never going to help a hunting. Digging up the ground, tossing bodies here and there, and destroying an entire nation, right? Crippling them, 
destroying all their food supplies, and even the psychic scar of not just the people who died there, but of Tenskwatawa himself. So he sat up on Prophet's Rock and was watching this whole thing unfold. You have to realize he knew that he made a mistake. That these historical figures, it's always interesting to think they feel the same way we do. Have you ever made a really bad mistake? Not this bad. Not, not 50 of your co-workers killed bad. But we've all made bad mistakes and we can feel our stomach drop out. Go, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. And that's what I imagine he's feeling that. Prophet's Rock is apparently haunted as well. There's a group called ghostresearch.org. They did an investigation there. Apparently there used to be an old marker. It's gone now. They said there was an old marker that said, right next to Prophet's Rock, listen carefully. It is said that the prophet still walks this hill, singing to his warriors. But they've, they've taken that down now. I don't think it's because the ghost is gone. I think it's probably just out of maybe sensitivity. I, I'm not for sure. But it, it makes you wonder how many other like haunted markers, markers talking about weird events have been removed over the decades. But that rock is apparently haunted. If you go to Battleground after dark, Battleground, Indiana. The sights and sounds of battle all around you. But can you sleep there? I mean, obviously, the history of this battle, none of it's not like William Henry Harrison stayed up for 30 days in a row and then he dropped dead on day 31. Um, nothing leads us to think that there's really any proof that if you're out there, you can't sleep. This would be a great, if you live in the area, uh, test it out. Go <laughs> Go out there, do it. Like, I don't need a sleeping bag. I'm just going to walk around. I'm just going to walk around this battleground for 24 hours. Post it on YouTube. It may be true. It may not be. It, definitely, if it's a place that it's where you can't sleep. Definitely, if it's a place that prevents you from sleeping, that would rank up there with one of the more bizarre haunted areas available. Place that actually messes with your. What is it? Circadian rhythm. You just can't sleep there. You don't even really get tired. You just kind of walk around. It would definitely rank up there with one of the weirdest things. But I also just love that this little sentence in the shadowlands.net got me to read the history of this piece of land and look at the history of Tenskwatawa, who I listen. I'm sure that I've mispronounced a lot of names on this. I apologize for that. But um He's a man like all of us. Reading his story, you go, yeah, I can see that. You just, you know you're supposed to be special. You can't find it in this world. And then finally, when he gets to the point where people do look up to him, people do think he's the prophet, he can't get out of his own way. Whether it was sibling rivalry or ego or maybe a divine vision that made him think that this plan would work or maybe all combined he didn't listen to his brother when he said don't attack you don't know how to lead men into battle i can do this and Tenskwatawa made a call and it ended up destroying a rival to the united states possibly the only real rival the united states would face and it's westward expansion a united nation of tribes one man's mistake possibly cost hundreds of thousands of people their freedom their land their identity and if this place is soaked with the psychic energy of tense kwatawa himself I think it would make a lot of sense that you would find no peace here. And what is sleep but peace? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today.